the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We're going to read it again, and then I'm going to pray. The steadfast love of the Lord never, ever. What's that rhyme? Never, ever, no, not ever. You heard that? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Let's pray. Jesus, we humble ourselves beneath your word this evening. The inerrant word of the living God, inspired by the Spirit, spoken through Jeremiah, profitable to us this evening to cut to our hearts. Would you help me to be a mouthpiece for you, Jesus? What I really don't want to do in this moment is become a mouthpiece for myself. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take this scripture and magnify it in, in our hearts, Lord, by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to think about the love of God. Probably many of us have thought about the love of God many, many times, right? We read verses about the love of God. We've heard sermons about the love of God. Maybe you're here and you're, you're here for the first time. Well done for coming through the door. It's not easy to come through the door into a place that you've never been before. If there was one theme that the scriptures would want you to, to hear more than any other that resound out of almost every page of the Bible, it's that God loves you. And yet sometimes we feel like we graduate from the, from the love of God, right? Oh, it's just that thing that we sung songs about in Sunday school or, you know, it's just a bit too simple for us. Today I want us to have an encounter afresh with the love of God. And I want you to see in this verse just how magnificently immovable and undefeatable the love of God is in your life. I want us just to pick up for a moment on these two words, steadfast, which I think Jeremy talked about a bit last week, is that right? And unceasing. It doesn't say unceasing, it says never ceases, but we'll say unceasing. It never ends. What does it mean that something is steadfast? Well, Jeremy's done the work for me on this. Here was the picture from last week. Imagine a rugby player in a rugby scrum. Jeremy has no idea about rugby players in rugby scrums, but I live in the Welsh Valleys. We have a rugby team on every street. I know a lot about immovable rugby players. I've got two friends called Sean and Engine. I've had the joy of them coming. Oh, yeah, that's funny, isn't it? I forgot. Yeah, his name is Callum. But everybody calls him Engine, and I had the joy of seeing these two guys come to faith in Jesus in Triorchy in the last few years. And um, Sean is massive. I think he could bench press 175 kilograms in his heyday. Something that's, is that a lot, right? I, you might notice I don't do bench pressing, but I'm told that that's a lot. And um, Engine is 
massive, like an engine. His, his cousin is known as Tank. <laughs> and um, a few years back, me and Engine and Sean, we went to the local rugby field just for a little bit of a laugh and a muck around, and I, you know, I taught myself up. And, um, and we would, we, Sean said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick the rugby ball high up into the sky, and Ben, you and Engine are going to compete for the catch. And I fancied my chances. I was like, I'm faster than him, I'm lighter than him, I'm springier than him, he's just a lump of muscle. Like, surely I'm going to get the ball. And the ball went up, and Sean used to be a very good rugby player, it went high up into the sky. And I, like, getting myself positioned, run over to get underneath the ball, I jump up, I think the ball is coming, my eyes are on the ball coming down at me, and then there's just this thud in my back. An engine had walked over, and with little effort, he just stood in the way, and I had been moved. <laughs> I then tried to grapple for the ball. I pushed, I shoved, I put all of my 11 and a half stone into trying to get this lump of, I don't know how much he weighs, I'm not even going to comment in case he listens, trying to get him on the floor to move, to take a backward step or anything, and there was literally nothing that I could do. Engine was steadfast, immovable. You know, the love of God towards his people is as solid as a rock. He's not just a big guy who you just find the bigger guy to push him off the ball. God's love towards his people is more solid and steadfast and immovable than you could ever imagine. Jeremy's picture was of a rugby scrum. It's like the guy who never takes a backward step. You know, the love of God towards his people is, is it never, ever, ever takes a backward step, right? It's steadfast in every way. And here's the magnificent thing. It's not just steadfast for a little bit. It's not just steadfast for a season. It's not just steadfast for the 80 minutes of a rugby game. The love of God is steadfast and immovable towards his people for the whole of eternity. It never ceases. Just before the service, when I was like, am I going to do this? I don't know, Lord. I just... I had this thought, like, what things in there, in life, are actually completely unceasing? And I couldn't think of anything. Like, you play your favorite song on repeat, but eventually, like, the battery on your phone is going to die, right? It feels like it's going on forever. Your housemate thinks it's going on forever, right? But at some point, the battery is going to die. I think about other things that feel like they're unceasing. Like the universe. I studied physics in university. You think, well, surely the universe is going to last forever. Not according to modern science, right? 
Like, what actually is there that's unceasing? And so I just typed in on my phone as I was sat by there, like, what things actually carry on forever? I asked Google. And I came up with a riddle. I think I could, maybe I can do it. Oh, man. I'm not even going to try. Am I going to try? Here it is. Where is it? What begins but has no end and is the ending of all that begins? That was the riddle. I was like, tell me, tell me if there's something that carries on forever. Do you know what Google said the answer to the riddle is? Death. How depressing is that? The only thing that Google can find that lasts forever and is unceasing and never-ending is the most depressing thing of all, death. Friends, the Bible has a better word for us today than Google. Praise God, right? That there's something else. I mean, if you've got any suggestions of things, other things that last forever, I'd love to hear them. Inflation, <laughs> right? Oh, please, no, Lord. But seriously, the only thing that, that, that lasts forever is death. And the Bible provides us with a magnificent alternative. Isn't this cool? Isn't this hope-filled today? That there's something else that lasts forever. Take a look at what it is. The love and the mercy of God. They're going to endure beyond the grave and carry on for the rest of eternity. And by the way, the rest of eternity goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It never, ever comes to an end. Isn't that wonderful good news for us? That God's love towards his people is both unshakable and unmoving. And yet it's not just like that it's unshakable and unmoving for a moment, but that, that, that somehow the, the strength and the 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 limitlessness and the unshakableness of the love of God is going to go beyond the day that we die and go beyond the day that all of humanity has finished to exist when the Lord Jesus comes back and it's just going to carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, being strong forevermore. Now here's the thing. I think most of us know that. But how many of us have days as Christians where we think God's love towards us has been taken away? Is that just me? I mean, honestly, how many of us live as Christians like, like, like something of the love of God has been moved or shifted or repealed? Is that a word? taken back. Or that there might be a moment where we trip or we stumble or we fall or something happens and the Lord might just take it away completely. How many of us live like that? How many of us really live like the love of God that is towards us in Christ Jesus is, is for us in an immovable and unshakable and eternal and never-ending, never-giving-up way, full stop. I want to say three things to us tonight that I believe the Spirit wants us to know. None of these things are probably new to many of us, but they're important nonetheless. God's love 
for you never ceases. Three things. In spite of your sin, or is it despite of your sin? In spite? In spite of your sin, in spite of your suffering, and in spite of the insufficiency of your Christian performance. In spite of your sin, in spite of your suffering, and in spite of the, I was looking for another S, I didn't quite get that, insufficiency of your Christian performance. We're going to have a look at these three things. Do you know today that the love of the Lord never ceases despite of your sin? I don't know anybody in this room. Actually, I know Zach and Jeremy a little bit. I don't know how good this week has been or bad this week has been, how sinful you are. But I do know the love of the Lord never ceases despite your sin. I want to tell you a story from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 15, about a son who goes to his father one day and says basically to his dad, Dad, I want all of the blessings of your inheritance now, but I don't really care about having a relationship with you anymore. Some of you know the story. The son thinks he's doing a great thing. The son thinks that his life is going on the upward trajectory. He's got all the money and resources he needs to live life to the full. Some of you maybe think that you're doing that right now here in the city of London. And you know, a few verses later in the story, we find this guy having spent all of his money, his dad's money, on living a wild lifestyle of uh, prostitution and, and just hedonism of all kinds. And he finds himself in the pigsty with the pigs eating pig's food. He's turned his back on his father. He wants nothing to do with him. Friends, it's a picture of sinfulness, of what it means to be a sinner. And the Bible says that every single one of us is a sinner because every single one of us has turned our backs on Father God. I think every single one of us wants the blessings of a kind and good and loving God in our lives, right? That we all want to have a life that's full of uh, uh, just like thriving and goodness. But the Bible says that every single one of us has turned our backs on God, that we've, we've taken from God the things that we want, but we've used them for our own selfish gain, uh, whatever we might think that might be, whether it's hedonism or whether it's success in climbing the ladder or whatever else. And you know, this guy, he finds himself in this pigsty because ultimately the life that he was trying to live doesn't, live to the kind of, doesn't lead to the kind of pleasure and satisfaction that he believed that it would. And so he says to himself, when he's got to the end of his tether, when he's got no other options at all, he says, maybe I will go back to my father's household and ask him if I can, I can live with him as a slave. He doesn't believe that the father would take him back. He doesn't believe that because of the wrongs that he's done, because of the rebellion that he's done, because of the way that he's lived his life, he doesn't believe that the father will take him back. He doesn't believe that the steadfast love of the father never ceases or that his mercies never come to an end. He thinks he's, he's just too far gone. 
He thinks that he's stuffed it up royally once and for all, and the Father is going to take his love away. We should read the text, actually, if, if I can find the right bit. It's Luke chapter 15. Verse 17, let's go from there, we'll have a go. But when he came to himself, the son said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Friends, have you ever had a moment like that, where you've so messed your life up, where you've just thought that you're not worthy anymore to call God your father and for you to be his precious son or daughter? I'm sure we all have. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But, it's one of the most beautiful buts in all of scripture, but whilst he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Isn't that a beautiful story? You know that's the father's heart towards you and towards me today. Whatever you've done, however rotten your life was or is the Father, when we come back to Him in repentance and faith, the, fa- the Father, He's just like, He's just delighted with you. You're His Son in whom He's well pleased. And if at the moment you're walking as a lost son and you're far from Him, all He wants you to do is run back into His arms and you're not going to be met with, um, with, with hatred or anger or with wrath or with judgment. How do I know? Because of this very verse, the steadfast love of Father God, the Lord of heaven, it never ceases. His mercies, His mercies, they never, ever, ever, no, not ever, come to an end. And accept the fact that some of you maybe are still sitting there and going, yeah, but Ben, you don't know what I've done. I said this this morning, I don't mean to sensationalize anybody's life, but I said this this morning because I felt like I needed to share it with you guys, uh, your church. And I've got a friend in our church, um, he's part of the church in that he comes to the church, but he's not yet a believer in Jesus. And um, he's an ex-con, he's a criminal, or was a criminal, he, he, um, he's done time for manslaughter, uh, and a second... Um, load of time for attempted murder. He actually was caught forcing somebody to dig their grave. And it breaks my heart because this guy, he comes to church every week. He hears us preach the gospel every week. And yet he says to me regularly, but Ben, I've done too many bad things. God would not 
forgive me. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we looked at this this morning, is that if you put your faith in Jesus' death, that he died for your sins on your behalf, and you believe that he rose from the grave to defeat your sin and death once and for all, and you surrender your life to following him, then by faith you can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Just say all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Do you believe that for your life? If you've been cleansed of all of your unrighteousness, then there is nothing that you bring towards God that his love and his mercy doesn't cover. His mercies never, never come to an end. Amen. Amen? Number two, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases in spite of our suffering. I think the hardest times to believe on the Lord are when suffering comes, right? I don't know what you guys have experienced this week, what you're going through, but I do know this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, even in the darkest of valleys. I was thinking earlier just about a story in Mark's gospel of some fishermen on a lake. These guys, they thought they had um, control of their boats. They thought they knew how this lake worked. And one day, a storm gets stirred up. Just trying to find it. Chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and with them in the boat, uh, with, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. How inconvenient, right? And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? that we are perishing. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating what the disciples ask Jesus in the middle of this storm? They don't wake him up, slap him around the face and go, sort it out, right? They don't wake Jesus up, slap him around the face and say, um, what should we do? What's the strategy? They don't wake Jesus up and go, are we going to die? I mean, I think that's what I would have asked. They wake Jesus up, and the question on their lips, the thing that is running through their head as Jesus sleeps on the cushion is this, do you actually care about our lives? Isn't that fascinating? That, 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 that in those moments of, of suffering and stress and anxiety and worry and when life is falling apart, that the thing that seems to bubble up inside the human heart is, is does God actually love me. And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. They marveled at who Jesus was. And I just wonder, like, what they were thinking about in those moments. Maybe they were just marveling at his great power to be able to do this incredible thing and still the wind and still the storm and bring peace into the the chaos of that moment. But I wonder whether any of them that evening reflected on the question that they'd asked Jesus. Does he actually care for me? Does he love me? Is he for me? Maybe that night as they ate their fish on the shore, they came back to the question and said, well, surely he does because he did that for us. Right? And you know, it reminds me of the cross. You know, I don't think I could believe in a God who promised me that he loved me in all of the highs and the lows and the difficulties of life. And we've been through some stuff even in the last few weeks. I don't think I could believe that God was truly there and unceasing and fully merciful and always loving in the middle of the hardships of life, except for this, that this God endured suffering like we've never known. And all because he loves us. Right? Do you see the, the, I don't know what it is, I don't have the words. Um, no, I was going to say like the, do you see the contract? That's the word, yeah. You're sorry. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast? Like, like our suffering and the love of God and Christ's suffering, the proof of the love of God. Do you see that it's at the cross that we see that God truly loves us because it's not just that he says in a fickle way, oh, I really am there and you're suffering, I promise. But he actually says, I'm going to go to the cross in obedience that the Father loves me and that the Father loves you. And that through the, the, the agony of the cross, that the love of God might be displayed for all to see. Yeah. Right? You know that even in your sufferings, that God loves you. That his mercy is towards you. We haven't yet reached the safe shores of the new creation that we've been singing about where, where all the pain and tears and suffering and grief and all the rest of it will be gone for all time. But can I tell you, church, this evening, men and women of faith, sons and daughters of the living God, that the love of God is towards you in your time of need and that his mercies are never ceasing towards you. Okay, number three. We're doing okay. This is helpful. I don't know. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases in spite of of the insufficiency, but in, in spite of our insufficient Christian performance. This is massive for us. This is massive for us Londoners, right? I, I don't know London very well. I live in a little back-end valley in South Wales. But I've been here for 12 hours, and I've already had several conversations where people have said, the people of London are trying to perform to the max. Right? They want their life, they want to have their lives together, their careers together, their fitness regimes together, their everything else. I don't know what you guys do. Your stuff. You look like a kind of you've got it all together kind of crowd, right? There's some people shaking their heads. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you something about my life. I wouldn't share this where we live. I was the overachiever. I was the overachiever. 
spent all of my, my, my teenage years getting the top grades. You know, some of my, my most um, easy-to-recall memories of my teenage years are the disappointments of only getting 80% on a school test. I was the overachiever. I wanted to achieve in the classroom. I wanted to achieve when I studied physics in um, university. I used to play the saxophone. I wanted to overachieve in my, on the saxophone. When I thought about my career, I had two options, and, and maybe both of them were reasonably feasible. I either wanted to be a great jazz musician or I wanted to be an astronaut in NASA. That, that was it. I had opportunity to go and do work experience in NASA, and I had opportunity to go to the Royal Academy and study saxophone. I was the overachiever. And you know, when we have that in our hearts, it's very easy to think that our parents only love us because of the things that we achieve. Some of you know what it's like. Your mums and your dads, they only said well done to you when you did really well at achieving something. And so your brain just kept saying, I'm just going to keep on achieving things. And how easy it is to bring that into our relationship with the living God. That God only loves us when we nail it in the Christian life. That God only loves us when we smashed it this week in the Christian life. When our devotions and our prayers have been on fire, when we've spoken to our workmates or, or whatever, guys at the pub, when, when we've, like, we've like done all the stuff and we've ticked every single um, directive in the New Testament. You ever done that? Read Romans 12 and just gone, either, one of two. Oh, done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, done it. Ka-ching, God must love me today. Or the opposite. Missed it. Sucking at that. Rubbish at that. Mm. 80% on that. And we go, oh no. The Lord must hate me. The Lord must hate me. I have failed him. I am inadequate. I am, to use the language of Luke 15, unworthy to be called your son or daughter. Friends, I want you to know today that the love, of, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases in spite of the insufficiency of your Christian performance. You know, it's interesting to me that in the Gospels, Jesus, his baptism, when the Father opens the clouds of heaven and the Spirit descends like a dove and there's the audible voice of the Father who says, um, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Where are we on Jesus' ministry journey? I'll answer my own question. The start. At this moment... Jesus has done nothing for the Father at all. Isn't that remarkable? He's not healed anybody. He's not preached anything. He's, he's just grown up as a boy. I mean, granted, he's lived an innocent 
child's life. None of us have done that, right? But he's achieved nothing for the Father. And the Father wants Jesus to know that he is loved beyond measure. Because it's not about performance. It's about the relationship of a father with his children. And you know, as I was just thinking about this, as we were praying earlier, I was just stirred by those verses, they may be familiar to you, in Philippians chapter 3. You want to find a little bit about an overachieving religious guy? Have a look at Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing. He says this, I put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. This, is, this takes some courage to say this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Wow. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tick. Of the tribe of Benjamin, tick. A Hebrew of Hebrews, tick. As to the law, tick. A Pharisee as to zeal. A persecutor of the church as to righteousness, tick, tick, tick. Under the law, blameless. Wow. But, this amazing verse. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying that if he stacked all of his achievements up in a great big stack for how he might earn and receive and, and like prove himself to get the love of his Father in heaven, he had the best stack of anybody going. Right? If anybody deserved the love of God, Paul is saying it was him. And yet he boots all of that into touch. Sorry, another rugby analogy. You can see who I normally preach to. He boots all that into touch and says, friends, that is worth nothing compared to just knowing God through faith. How could knowing God through faith be better than all of that stuff? Well, when you know Christ, you experience the fullness of his love. And Paul says, to know his love through Christ is better than all of that stuff. I don't need any of that stuff anymore because by faith I can just receive the love of Christ. Friends, I want you to know, you might have realized, that the love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. If Christ was here today, if the Father was here today looking over you, he does not see a bunch of people who've missed the mark. He doesn't see a bunch of people that aren't good enough. He doesn't have a record of your wrongs. He hasn't abandoned you in your suffering. His compassion is towards you. His mercy is covering you. Your sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. He remembers your sin no more. 
You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. The Father loves you because you've taken Christ and you've clothed yourself with him, putting on a righteousness that isn't of your own. And so you stand holy and blameless and without fault before the Father. And when the Father looks at your life in the Spirit, he, he sees Christ and all of his perfection. And the Father's just heart just wells up with love for you. And all of the love and the adoration and the joy that the Father has in Christ, it's overflowing from the Father to you as well. And there's nothing that you can do if you're in Christ that could ever change that. Paul puts it in the book of Romans like this. Romans 8. For I am sure, notice the certainty with which he says it, O oh Lord, that this certainty might come to us this evening. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that the most wonderful news in all the world? Hallelujah. And so as I close... I want to say this. The good news today is that this is not just a message for those of us that call ourselves Christians today, though I believe that we need to receive it afresh by the Spirit. This is also a message for anybody here who's not yet a follower of Christ. You see, God doesn't just love Christians. God loves this whole world. John 3.16 God so loves the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here for the first time, God wants you to know that he loves you and through faith in Christ you can experience his fatherly love in your life. Despite your sin, despite your suffering, despite your insufficiency, you can know the perfect, immovable, unshakable, enduring, never-ending, unceasing love of God, both now and forevermore. Would you come to him today? You know, how do we get... How do we experience the love of Christ? How do we receive it? How does this verse become a reality for us? How can we become confident that the mercy of God is going to stick with us through our life and into death and for all eternity? Simply this. We put our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf and we surrender our lives to him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God is holding out his love to you today. He wants to save you. He wants to shed his love abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Come to him today.